0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today our guest is Olivia Amber, who, though she grew up in rural Wisconsin, she headed off to Maine where she became an all-American cross-country skier then found her way into the tech world of San Francisco, where she then started getting into ultra running and is now a Solomon athlete who also juggles a career in tech. So you may have already picked up on this, but Olivia's story is not what I would call the most straightforward, but it is certainly a really interesting one. And she is somebody we think you are definitely going to want to get to know better while also being someone that we suspect you're going to be seeing more and more impressive race results from, too. And so, yeah, there are several twists and turns in this conversation that make this a particularly fun conversation. And so, let's get to it. Well, Olivia, how are you today? And where are you today?
1: I am doing well. I am in the Outer Sunset neighborhood of San Francisco at home. And yeah, happy to be here.
0: With the world's most professional looking sort of Zoom call backdrop I've ever seen, <laughs> I, I I still like, is this something that one can pick up on the cheap or is this clearly like you have to be someone with say a fancy title, like strategic research leader to get access to (laughs) something like that, or what's going on here?
1: Maybe, maybe, but I also stole Corinne Malcolm's podcast setup. So it also could just be that.
0: It could just be that. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't, I clearly haven't stolen anyone's stolen anyone's backdrop. Oh yeah, you're right. They don't know that. No, you're supposed to say, no, yours looks amazing.
1: Yours, yours looks amazing. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Yours I appreciate looks great. Yeah. Hey, you just ran a big race like a few days ago. Broken yes. Arrow?
1: Broken Arrow, the 52K, or I guess ultimately it was a 45K, but who's counting?
0: Are you? Is this real? I thought normally we tended to sort of go with whatever the K was and then the actual mileage was longer, which is something that I would definitely, if I was in the race, I would count every single step I took and I would want that documented. So Broken Arrow goes the other way here, huh?
1: So interesting thing about Broken Arrow, they change their course depending on conditions. And oftentimes there's snow on course. They usually have it in June. And because of COVID, they moved it to October. And so there actually was no snow. And so they did reroute the course a little bit because of that. And there's construction down at the base. Um, it's held in Olympic Valley, which is in Palisades, Tahoe. And so because of that construction, they wanted to make it more scenic and more, you know, just pleasant for the racers. So they did, they did change it a bit. And that did shorten the distance slightly, which, yeah, which is, I guess, you're right. Usually.
0: Usually yeah, it goes the we, opposite direction. Right. <laughs> this, see, I, I would have won because it's a little known fact. I am fantastic for 46K, but then I just fall apart in like those remaining, those remaining six. You should 6K. have raced this year. Yeah. You should this have, would have been my year. missed
1: opportunity. Yeah. This would yeah. have been my year.
0: <laughs> now, hey, sixth place finish?
1: Yes. Yeah. I was sixth. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. I actually recently about a month ago raced the rut which is a similar race it's you know it was a part of the sky running series in the past i believe i'm sure people will correct me if i am wrong Mm -hmm. um but it is yeah very similar it's a 50k there's you know a couple other races but i did the 50k and it's a mountain race about 10k avert and i also a sixth place so obviously we're seeing a trend yeah <laughs> completely different field too so that was interesting huh. um but yeah i'm i'm super happy with it i ran you know the best race i could on the day so that's all you can ask yeah. for i've been dealing with a little bit of this nerve flare up in my hip area it's kind of like sciatica but not diagnosed sciatica. So still trying to figure out exactly what's going on, which has been but what I've been working on this week <laughs> outside of work. Um, and so, yeah, I dealt with that in the last about six miles of the race, which was unfortunate, but what can you do? That's yeah, racing for you.
0: That is racing. You were talking about a trend of sixth place, but another trend is also moving up the ranks, right? If my research is correct. Broken Arrow 2019 you yes. you moved up a full like 10 spots off of that. Yeah.
1: And a lot of time off too. Yeah. But yeah, I so Broken Arrow 2019 was the first running race I ever really did. Obviously coming from a cross country skiing background, I would be remiss not to say that we are typically pretty good runners because we do so much for training. But, you know, I it's a totally different it's a totally different realm. We're not, you know, racing for six hours. If we're racing a fifty K for cross country skiing, it takes like for women, two and a half hours. And so it's a totally different thing. And so yeah, in twenty nineteen I had this really awesome idea that I was just gonna hop in and do it after i retired from my ski career and i i i literally stopped at every aid station i ate three peanut butter and jelly sandwiches during the race because i was like oh my gosh i am racing 50 kilometers i need to fuel yeah food, need to eat, um, classic skier. (laughs) And so I, yeah, I was super proud of the race. I ended up 16th. As you said, I was, I remember being a little bummed not getting top 15, but then also being like, well, wasn't really doing this for the result anyway. So, um, I'll take it. And yeah, so I have to say comparing that two years ago to now is just really cool. It's really cool to see what can happen in two years of a bit more focused training. And it's, yeah, I'm really excited about where I can go Hmm. from here.
0: And I guess we should say you are currently 26.
1: Yes, I am 26. Mm -hmm.
0: And this Broken Arrow race in 2019. So you were 24 then. Right.
1: I had just turned 24 okay. too, like two weeks mm. prior. Yeah. Yeah. My birthday is in June and the race was in June. So
0: <laughs> if people want to know why I'm so I'm like so worried about getting my facts right here, it'll become clear maybe in a minute. But like I, there's <laughs> there's
1: a you're I'm, doing great. I'm so ta- far. <laughs> thank you.
0: I'm talking to like a researcher. And so I just feel like if anything is off, it's just not going to it's going to reflect badly on me. We've talked to a lot of folks who kind of got into long distance running, you know, after cross country ski careers. And so is it sort of just like an obligatory move on your part or how, you know what I mean? Like all the, it's like, oh, so you wrapped up a college career. This is what you have to do now. And you're like, oh, okay, I, I guess yes. I'll just do that. If anyone
1: or, doesn't do that, they're right. wrong. You're
0: like out of the club just kidding, or something. Just
1: kidding. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, they're that, out of the club. I mean, this is, yeah, yeah, exactly. But how I mean, do that's this, all there is to it. How do Mic drop. <laughs> we're done here. <laughs>
0: how how did this work for you? I mean, was trail running something that you were say paying attention to that scene while you were racing cross country? Or was it more like, look, I wrapped up a, a race career in cross country, was kind of looking for the next thing, and that's how that's when I started looking around or becoming more aware of the, the mountain running scene.
1: You know, it was not intentional at all. It was Actually, it's really interesting. I think in a lot of ways as a kid, I was, you know, really influenced by the running space. My mom was an amazing runner on the Wisconsin scene. She raced D1 for a bit and then ended up going to a D2 school um after she tore her ACL or something. I forget exactly which, was it MCL. Anyway. Um and yeah, so she was always getting up early and running in the mornings as a kid and so I think that definitely influenced me um, to to love running and I was always most excited about the running training for skiing. In fact, I actually did not roller ski much in the summers. Um for for training I ran a lot and that was Largely because I would pick up some bad habits technique wise, roller skiing. I just had a tendency to muscle it too much. And then when I'd get on snow, my technique would have had, would have, would regress. And so oh. I leaned more into the running and I loved it. Um, and so it was definitely just an affinity, I think, from childhood that sort of brought me here today. But I think also. In conjunction with that, moving to San Francisco after graduating and retiring from skiing, that was a huge influence as well. I mean, there's no snow in San Francisco, it does not snow here. And so, you know, finding something to do in the mornings before work um, that, you know, wasn't skiing, it was really easy to run. And there's also a really strong, amazing community of trail runners in San Francisco. And so they were a huge influence as well. Some of my absolute best friends are in the running community. And so I think that community aspect is also a huge influence for, for, for why I ended up, you know, becoming a a runner after skiing. So yeah, it was definitely a fluid progression, if you will.
0: Yeah. Can I go back to roller skis for a minute? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, you can.
0: Okay, first of all, I have never been—I don't know if I should say on them or in them, because you're kind of you're kind of in them and on them. You're kind
1: of in them. I never really thought right? about it like that. I always say, oh, I guess I would tend to say on. Okay,
0: I think normal it, people let's do. Let's go with yeah, in. Okay, that's hilarious. Okay. <laughs> um, I've never heard that. I've never heard uh, a cross-country skier say that those roller skis kind of messed with their technique. I know. Is this so Hot so I'm just is, okay, take. okay. Well, that's what <laughs> I wondered. If it was like, no, no, quite a few quite a few skiers feel that way, so h- help us understand that.
1: Yeah. Okay. So for me, I was a part of CXC as a junior skier, which was awesome because part of the Olympic development program, I had a lot of resources. It's honestly what enabled me to be in the sport. Um, in a lot of ways, I, my high school did not have the funding to have a ski program. The only winter sport that they had, um, am from Northern Wisconsin and which it's a shame that there was no ski program, but the only sport they offered in the winter was basketball for women. And so, Anyway, I was really fortunate to be a part of CXC and, um, that was amazing. But I, once I went to school, I kind of realized I wanted to do other things in the summers as well and like climb and get more into that. I love rocks. I end up studying geology because I love rocks Um, and I just loved having you know, more flexibility. And so I actually would train on my own in the summers, um, between my college seasons. Um, and so because of that, I didn't have a coach or any teammates looking at my technique. And so unless I was putting a camera out and skiing by it and analyzing my own technique and sending it to my coach, I wasn't really getting that feedback loop that I would need unless I was at a national camp, which obviously then I would get that technique work and I'd be able to progress there. But I wasn't always at a camp. I was oftentimes just training on my own. So I think largely because of that, most people, most cross country skiers at that level are training with teams during the summer. And so I think that, That's probably, it's probably twofold. It's probably that. And then the other piece is just a personal thing. I think I just had the tendency to use my arms a lot. And so when you're on roller skis, if you're just pushing off all the time and not getting the glide that you would need on snow, then you're still moving really fast. And so I was like, well, if I'm moving fast, like great. But I was almost changing my technique for roller skiing when I really should have just been practicing getting over that ski and gliding. But since it was still a really fast way of skiing on roller skis I I continue to do it that way so I think it's twofold um (laughs) I think it's not having someone and give that with that feedback loop of saying this is you know what you should be doing you're doing it wrong and also just yeah my own tendency to Hmm. to be more static in my in my uh in my pulling and such so
0: I find this a little surprising like so you just said I mean you're kind of operating at a high level in the XC world and they just kind of left you alone and you're just training on your own and and they're like I don't know how to make these things work and they're like well don't worry about it just run or that this all doesn't seem quite quite to compute I mean yeah. I, I believe you I just it <laughs> seems a little I seems a little strange
1: Yeah, no, I mean, there is so I was affiliated with CXC as before I started college. And I when I decided to go to college, it was the collegiate ski program that I was set with. So I was part of Colby skiing. That was my team, my coach. Tracy is awesome. And she technically, because it's a D3 school with a D1 program, because it's a D3 school, the coaches can't really do that much Ah, with you in the summer, except give you a training program. And so it, it was up to me to then find what I wanted to do in the summers for training. And most kids would go find, you know, these summer programs like in Bend or in Bozeman or in Boulder or Stratton and train all summer with those groups that was expensive and I could not afford it and so I did not do that I would look for internships and so that's how I actually found myself in San Francisco I got an internship out here and so I was like well there's obviously no cross-country ski summer training program in San Francisco so it's what it is I'll to go at it on my own and fortunately the U.S. ski team has some national league groups and summer camps that you can go to and so I would you know do you still have to pay to go to those so I would paid to go to those if I was um, you. So essentially what they do is, is they send you a like email letter, whatever it may be to say you are accepted into the camp and you have to be of a certain ranking to, to go to those camps. And then if you're admitted, then you still have to pay to go do them. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a huge financial investment and I didn't really have a ton of resources to do that during each summer. So I would just invest that in camps and yeah, got it on my own. Hmm,
0: Interesting. What made you choose Colby for school?
1: Yeah. So honestly, I still, I would chalk that up to the influence of my cross country ski peers. Um, Most kids where I grew up didn't really go to college or if they did, they'd go to a two-year technical school um, or stay, you know, in the area. And I was seeing a lot of my cross-country ski peers go to these, you know, East Coast or West Coast elite schools that have these ski programs. And so that was a really big influence. Um, And so I heard about a lot of those schools just through, through, uh, through that ski um, worlds and fortunately my parents were also pretty invested in education and so they knew to sort of look at certain schools that offered the division one ski program and good academic opportunities yep. so yeah Colby was on my short list of schools my sister was a grade above me and she did a bunch of that research um, first and so she ended up at Middlebury and skied for them and I you know, just looked at the same schools. And I went to Colby. It was actually the first school that I looked at when I was looking at my shortlist. And I met Tracy, who is the coach. And I just totally fell in love with her. She's incredible. And I went through the other the, the rest of the schools on my list, and I just couldn't get Tracy out of my head. I was like, She's just amazing. I really want to go there. She just, I felt like she just really believed in me and as just a human, not just as an athlete, but she could see that I loved doing a lot of things and that that was going to be okay. And I could still perform at a high level. And so she, I just really felt that she believed in me. And so yeah, that was a huge. Honestly, I, I I have to say I went to Colby because of Tracy.
0: It's Tracy's fault.
1: It's Tracy's fault. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and here's to Tracy. We we all need like a Tracy or yeah. two in our lives.
1: Seriously. Right. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. We seriously do.
0: Man, I I feel like you need to introduce me to Tracy. I feel like she'll like I can hire as a, a life coach. Everyone should know Tracy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Honestly, <laughs> okay. she could totally start a side business just life coaching.
0: <laughs> I, I I once again believe you. Okay. At least one more college question. But you went to study geology because you liked rocks? Is this oh what gosh. you
1: did? I just like to, I like to say that because I think it's funny. Um, but honestly, I had no idea. When I got to college, I had no idea what to study. <laughs> my high school didn't really prepare me for that next step. And so I was like, what do I do now? And... I honestly ended up picking it largely because I was I was fortunate to be going to a liberal arts school, so I was taking a ton of other classes. And so at the end of the day, I didn't feel like what I ultimately committed to as a major was going to be the end-all be-all for what my career path was going to be. Um, but what I did like about it was that it was a really small department, and so I would really get to know my professors and my fellow students well and just get a really good hands-on learning experience and I loved the outdoors. And so I figured, well, geology, pretty, uh, pretty outdoor oriented. So, <laughs> so in a nutshell, that is honestly what, why, what influenced my decision to, to pick that major. So
0: <laughs> we're going to come back to this yeah. uh, in a minute. Okay. <laughs> Cause this seems like, again, a confusing part of your story because
1: yes. There's a lot of weird stuff.
0: See, this is why it's good we're talking. You can clarify just a lot of clarifications for us. But back to running for a second. What's the farthest distance you ran, say, prior to college?
1: Prior to college?
0: Prior to college.
1: That's a really good question. Let me think. You know...
0: I'll be stoked if you're like two miles.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Way farther than that. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know because I never had a device that would record the actual distance. So I think the longest run that I ever did was probably close to 30 miles. Before um, college. Before college. I so I was doing some training in Colorado with CXC and we did this really long run. It, it was like hitting seven summits around like the Telluride area. And I think that that was between 20 and 30 miles if I remember correctly. So I think that was the longest run that I ever did before and, college. And
0: sorry, that was when you were in what grade?
1: I would have been
0: or I how I old? Been
1: 17, 18, okay. 18. I, I would have just turned 18 because yeah.
0: Okay so far. you're yeah yeah <laughs> and yet the the world of like ultras and trail running isn't that's not the way it's hilarious actually the way you're describing all of this you're like not many people in my town went to college and we didn't have any devices so i'm just picturing you now in, in sort of this you know effectively you grew up in like the 19th century
1: you know, the yeah. And so there were <laughs> never,
0: it's like, quite. we didn't know that, you know, social media existed or things like that. Oh but gosh, but so at this funny. point you're doing like 20, we
1: definitely did. <laughs>
0: okay. But you're doing like 20 plus mile runs, but not that clued into like this sport where like people yeah. are doing this stuff.
1: Totally. Not at all not at all. And in college, I definitely started to discover it more mostly because Corinne Malcolm grew up about an hour South of me. And so that was that first initial ski connection that I had that, Oh, like there's more people that do this sport than just my parents. And so, um, once we sort of got involved in that community, I got to know Corinne really well. And she's about five years older than me. And we met when I was like, Eight And so I've known her for a really, really long time. And, you know, in college, so fast forward to when I was in college, she had graduated and she had been on the U.S. biathlon team and then ended up transitioning to ultra trail running. And obviously we were close friends back in childhood. And so I still followed her. I still knew what she was up to. And I saw that she was doing these crazy long runs and races. And once I noticed there was actual races that went that far, I realized there were other people that did that too. And so that definitely started cluing me into this world a little bit. And it kind of just evolved from there, but there was never really, um, there was never really a time where I thought that that really would be, uh, my path. I mean, I remember when, I was really quite young. It might have been early high school or middle school when I was with my family. We did a lot of road trips and both of my parents were teachers. And so we road tripped a lot in the summers. Um, And so we were in Colorado and Leadville 100 was happening. And I remember um, just being really intrigued by it. But my mom reminded me, I did not know that I said this, but I guess we were hiking up the trail because I really wanted to just see what was going on. And apparently I turned to her and was like, I want to do this someday, Um, which I don't remember. But she told me that that's what I said, which I believe her. So, um, yeah, I guess there must have been some early sort of realization that that I had back back then. So I think I'm sure it's a bunch of. A bunch of influencing factors but
0: okay so i asked you the longest distance you ran prior to college once you're mm-hmm. in college are these 20 to 30 mile runs becoming more common for you or
1: um somewhat i definitely did do about that distance in the summers when i was training on my own um you know the i i should call out with cross-country ski training we actually um, use time-based training for the most part. So we would say three-hour run or five-hour gotcha. run, whatever it may be. And so um, it was not distance-based, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of runners do use the more distance-based um, training, training plans. But yeah, so it's hard for me to know exactly how far I was running, especially because those GPS devices didn't really exist as uh as readily they weren't as readily available as they are now and i don't think Strabo was really around when i was you know in high school or maybe it had started but it wasn't really well known yeah um i sure did especially not
0: know where you it, lived but. where basically they, they had just <laughs> recently like a, they had just discovered fire yeah. <laughs> you just
1: discovered fire you yeah. wouldn't believe it we just I. that's why i loved rocks it was all i knew <laughs>
0: yeah we just banged oh rocks God. together no. yeah
1: Definitely not. We definitely are from rural, rural area, but not quite to the point where we didn't know about technology. So we're okay. We're everything's fine.
0: (laughs) Okay. So college, we're doing the, we're doing the, the running for time and you're not yet paying all this attention to, was that 20, was that 26.1, 26.2, it's that, that kind of thing, but you're still putting some mileage down.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I have no idea really what mileage, but I was definitely putting some mileage down. Honestly, probably pretty, pretty good mileage. But yeah, I guess I could go look back in my old training logs that I kept and just calculate the time with the approximate <laughs> miles per hour I was going and figure out like an, an idea. But
0: <laughs> now I feel like I should be like, that's your next research assignment. You should, know, you to should do it because you would like yeah. run off now that that I'm that, honestly kind of curious. See, <laughs> okay, I look, maybe I, I look will. forward to seeing your your twelve page paper on this. All right, I promise, ladies and gentlemen, this is relevant. Tell me a little bit about these internships of yours, if if you can, before we start bumping yeah. up against you know NDAs and stuff, which will be the fun oh. part of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just talk about how the cross country skiing, rock studying student at Colby starts on this path of, well, I'm going to assume is a pretty interesting trajectory or progression of internships.
1: Yeah. So I had a legal internship in Mill Valley after my sophomore year and in Mill Valley is just uh, north of San Francisco. So it's in the Bay Area. And that was really interesting because at the time I hadn't actually declared my geology major and I loved reading and writing. So I thought maybe if I major in English at Colby, I'll go into law afterwards. So, um, obviously I'm all over the place here. It's very, very fun. <laughs> so I, I, did that. And, um, I was fortunate to get that job. My boyfriend is from Mill Valley and he mm. sort of introduced me to how to get an internship and how I should write my resume and <laughs> do all of that stuff. So that was really helpful. And so I ended up yeah, applying to that. And it was a lot of just basic paperwork stuff, but it was so funny because the attorney that I was working for was like, you don't want to go into law. Do not do this. And so that was an influence. I was like, oh, really? Okay. I won't, I won't do this then. And so then the next year I ended up getting a job at, um, the Rainforest Action Network, which is here in San Francisco as a sustainability and database operations intern. So I was working with their major donor, um, development team, and I was just learning about that system and just, how you can catalog that kind of information how to store it. And um, it was really, it was really interesting and it was cool because it's an environmental nonprofit that does really great work. So um, I did that. And then that was, after my junior year. So then when I graduated, I ended up getting this job at this executive search and consulting company. And so, um, which
0: <laughs> with your geology degree, or did you, did you yes, end up with great? my geology degree? Okay. So your yeah. diploma mentions geology.
1: It's geology. Okay. Yes.
0: So why are yes. they hiring you? for I don't sh-
1: know. Huh.
0: You're like, cause <laughs> I'm <don't> charming <laughs> and yeah, delightful. Exactly. You idiot. Um, yeah.
1: Okay. And so I, yeah, I was really curious to learn more about business and it's definitely an industry where you, it's almost, it, you know, it's almost like a fast track to business school in a lot of ways. So you have to do some baseline market research to understand what companies are hiring for at the executive level, what their needs are from a resourcing perspective and also just looking at their financials, so some startups, what series are they at, how much have they raised, like what can they afford from an exec perspective and just honestly it was it was really interesting because we'd also meet with all of the execs and I would sort of learn what that executive presence looked like and what are the things that they care about and what are the things that they're working on. And so it was really eye opening for me cuz I hadn't really had any any exposure at all to that business world. Um and so I threw myself into it and I wanted to learn a lot and it was really intriguing especially being here in San Francisco cuz there's a ton of just fast-growing businesses and um so that was really cool. Um and then about a year into that, I ended up um, getting connected with um, someone at Uber and I, we ended up grabbing coffee and just chatting. And uh, months later, I found myself in a strategic research role at, at Uber. So I'm still here. I've been here for about three-ish years. And um, yeah, that's sort of the progression there. Nothing to do with running, but
0: no, here we are. Or geology. Or
1: geology. That's yeah. I majored in my lifestyle. Okay, it's fine.
0: (laughs) Well, okay. So there must have been this just amazingly brilliant essay or in-person interview with they. You just wowed them. You're like, listen, I know a lot. I did a lot of
1: whiteboarding. I was yeah, yeah. The rocks. No, I, I definitely. I study. I, I like to. You know know what i'm getting myself into of course and so yeah i mean with with the uber role i we had a lot of conversations about it's a new team so they were bringing me on because they just were believing in me as a person that i could build a team and that we could do this and so yeah i mean it was a lot there were a lot of ongoing conversations and there were a lot of whiteboarding sessions where i was just writing out ideas and just ended up working out so i guess they liked my writing on the whiteboard
0: Wow. They liked your writing on the whiteboard. Okay, That's good. (laughs) Well, maybe, I mean, if there's any takeaways from this, maybe it's like, I mean, you're obviously a very bright person. I sense a bit competitive, like a little bit. And then maybe this is a (laughs) testament to like a a broader humanities education as well. Right. Like, which is something that I personally, it's kind of funny that I'm giving you such a hard time about this. I mean, I I mean, I, I'm a straight humanities guy. Like that's what I studied and did a bunch of years in. And I do think actually like if it can be really good training to go broad and to hopefully go be effective if you're willing to work hard and, you know, you're curious and you're, you know, you can.
1: 100%. Right. And I think a testament to that is, you know, I'm in a research heavy role um, now and I think the reason why I'm able to do my job well is because I, you know, understand a lot of a, I understand a lot of the dynamics that are happening outside of just my role. I know how to think big picture and I, you know, was forced to take a bunch of psychology classes in college. And so I can, you know, bring in some of the knowledge that I gained taking that That type of coursework in and say okay, well, what are some of the behavioral aspects to you know this particular um, analysis that we're putting together or whatever it may be? And I think um, liberal arts educations are awesome because they give you the tools for everything, and then you just have to figure out okay, what tool do I use now? And um, yeah, I think that um, I think that yeah, I would definitely attribute my current job and my success at it to just, yeah, being at Colby and getting that kind of education. Um, So I think also just studying geology was helpful and that I learned how to write a really good research paper because it's a science. And so that actually was really helpful too. It's all kind of tangentially related in some way. It's transferable skills. It's all transferable skills. So So
0: that's interesting, actually. I was not a geologist, but you're saying the the geology papers you were writing actually turned out to be pretty decent, pretty, pretty decent helpful. training for yeah. what you're doing now.
1: Honestly, yes. I think when it comes to any of those hard sciences, if you know how to write a good research paper, you know baseline statistics, you know how to run any sort of regression, which a lot of sciences you have to learn some of this stuff just baseline. It's it's something that you can utilize in in um uh in the corporate world for mm-hmm. sure. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: If that's something that interests people.
0: But. Okay, this is the part of the conversation where we might not be allowed to talk about anything, but we're gonna, you know, we're gonna try because I'm stubborn. Well, this will be interesting. So, your current role at Uber, and I love this title. I'm very envious of it. Strategic Research Leader. Yes. Yeah, that sounds like. I don't know. In whatever, whenever the next Star Wars film comes out or oh something, God. there's going to be that like colonel, and that colonel's <laughs> title will be like strategic research leader. <laughs> so I'm like, how Probably. do I get? How do I get that on my business card? But um,
1: that's so funny. All right.
0: So you said you're kind of not allowed to talk a lot about what you do. Mm-hmm. What can you say <laughs> about what it is you do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I do market intelligence across global markets for <laughs> for the company. That's it.
0: That's what That's you're going to get. That's what we're getting today, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. So yeah, turns out, according to our sources, blood from a turnip, blood from a stone, variations on the same idea. Point is, you can't really get blood from either of those things. And that is analogous to what we're going to learn about Olivia's job.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay. <laughs> What maybe we can talk a bit more about, I, we probably all have a sense by now that one, this job keeps you on your toes. And two, sounds like you're probably not clocking out, uh, you know, 31 hours into the work week. So, uh, no. assuming that's true, <laughs> talk a little bit yeah. about work life balance. And as you're kind of really just, I don't know, literally two years into this running career of yours how Mm -hmm. you think about the two well the two careers and how you make them both happen
1: yeah I mean honestly the pandemic helped in that I actually did not have to commute and so I didn't have to get up before 5 a.m every day to run um so that was huge and so that really accelerated my ability to train. And I also, you know, prior to that would just run everywhere. So I would run to work, run from work, run to the gym, like just run. And I never really drove anywhere. And at the time I didn't have a bike in the city. So I just, yeah, I just went by foot. So um, yeah, I guess that coupled with just, I am not much of a sleeper. So (laughs) I, I, I sleep a lot more now, but I used to get like three or four hours a night. Really? This is really, really bad. It's a lot better now. Um, but I would not sleep much. And so a lot of my productive hours from a working perspective were when everyone was asleep and that was great because I had no distractions. And so I would just, and I was in school too. I would just do a lot of studying at night. Fortunately, I have, started sleeping more like six, seven hours, normal ish amount. So that's really good. But yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, not having to commute was the biggest change to my ability to, to train and also the, um, remote working, um, so I am able to still work remotely, which has been also helpful and it gives me the more flexibility to just get up to the Sierra and go climbing and do alpine expeditions and run and um, just be up there um, a lot easier and more frequently and so I think that has helped a lot
0: I want to ask you more about the sleep thing because I'm kind know, of obsessed really with this bad. right yeah well, and I've I actually
1: I've, recently got a whoop because I figured I should ugh. to start tracking it more so mm-hmm.
0: yeah and I I'm I've made some moves like that just because I left to my own devices I listen in defense of people who don't sleep a lot let me try this out on you see what you think I think it's a sign that we like life so much that there are so many interesting things one could be doing if one weren't asleep. I think it's yes. a sign of optimism. And <laughs> I that, like this right? take. Yeah. This is a good take. It's a good take. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, why would I want to go to sleep right now? Like there are so many things I could be reading or learning or doing, producing, creating. So I think this is an optimistic... Uh, a take to not sleeping much just apparently according to all of the science it, it it's really unhealthy
1: yeah yeah it, it's it totally is not it's not a good <laughs> thing to not sleep um i like the optimistic take okay. on it though okay um i think yeah that's great <laughs> is it were you
0: kind of on like in throughout college were you on like the three to four hours a night program or is yeah. this po- it? okay and like yeah, just like left your own, Left to your own devices. That's how you would kind of roll. That's like- just
1: how I operated. Yeah. And um, I honestly, I did get sick quite a bit. Okay. So I think there's something to be yeah. said for that. And it's definitely not great. I also drank way too much coffee, um, total caffeine addiction. So that I think is a huge, uh, I think that was a perpetrator in the uh, lack of sleep. So I think, yeah, I've cut down on the coffee a bit. A lot of my teammates will laugh at me and say, "No, you have not. No, you
0: haven't." But I have. Wait wait, wait. Wait. Um, wait, wait, I wait, stay on the coffee thing for a second because oh, I've God. literally, <laughs> I, I've introduced something. This is what baby steps, right, people? Baby steps. I'm still kind of drinking the same amount of coffee, but I'm now shutting coffee consumption down by two p.m.
1: See, that's good
0: have you ever tried this or or are you just okay oh
1: so i've tried a few things i've tried stopping like setting a boundary this is the time that i'll stop and then karen had this great idea of actually having a grinder just have decaf beans in it so when i would go into the kitchen to make coffee i was forced to use the grinder with the decaf beans because that was what was already in it and obviously i didn't do that all day, but yeah. after a certain period of time, like after two p.m., I I would try to do that, but I I have just been like pretty addicted to caffeine, and so I would feel it. I would feel this like ugh, like I'm tired, I'm feeling fatigued, and not as mentally acute as I would be if I was still drinking coffee after two p.m. And so that that is something I'm still working on, but I'm getting a lot better at actually either just stopping coffee altogether or trying the decaf mode. Um, so I still need to figure out what works, but baby steps, baby,
0: baby steps. steps. I'm,
1: I've sort of decided that I'm going to give myself one day a week where I really cut back and then work up to two days a week where I really cut back and sort of take that approach um, instead of just doing all days or nothing. Cause mm-hmm. so I felt like I kept failing and I was like, well, I need to give myself a little bit of success. So maybe if I just take the, take each day, Give yourself one day where you really try hard not to do it and then go from there. So
0: can I share one? I, I Forgive me <laughs> that we're spending our time Please. on this, but I'm this is a very real thing for me. Right. And so for the I have never done this stuff in my life. Like I'm been the guy that it's like 10 p.m. and I'm making the second pot of coffee. Like that's how I've kind of rolled. And so I this feel is feel that. Yeah. And I love it. I mean, I love it for all the reasons we said because I'm an optimist. Um, I know. <laughs> but what I'm doing now, and so you're welcome to try this out. It may not work for you. What I'm doing now is since I'm do- trying my 2 p.m. caffeine cutoff, co- coffee cutoff, I-, I can't, I don't know if I can make the move to decaf coffee. That seems, I don't know if, we'll, if I'll ever be able to get there, but I am. There
1: are some good decaf coffee beans out there. So for what it's worth.
0: Okay. We might need to swap. Yeah. We might need to exchange like some uh some brand names here. But what I've tried to do for the first time in my life, I'm actually started drinking tea after two PM. Cause I think part oh, of it and and part of it and shout out to the cigarette smokers out there or former cigarette cigarette smokers. I think part <laughs> of it is we kind of like having the the like hot cup close mm-hmm. or in our hand so yeah. i'm i'm trying this experiment so after 2 p.m i'm like rolling over to like a non-caffeinated tea i don't so the decaf coffee might be a, a step too far but like this is like feels enough like a different bucket and yet i'm still yeah. kind of getting the warm the warm cup still sort of sipping yeah I, interesting anyway i just
1: that's really interesting. Maybe I'll try the tea. Maybe I'll try the tea.
0: I'm liking it. I like it. I'm liking yeah, it. Yeah. And uh the other and then I I swear I'll stop. But I'm literally going to be writing about this on Blister cuz I figure like there's a lot of people out there that so this is kind of like Jonathan's sleep experiment thing. The other thing <laughs> I've been doing and I'm it's kind of developing a new habit is I'm having tea like an hour before I go to bed every night. And th- Oh, I
1: do that. That's you the do. only way I actually drink water. Okay. <laughs> I literally okay. don't. Uh, okay, a little bit of an exaggeration. I probably drink like two cups of water during the day after going for a run. So I really should be drinking more water.
0: Yeah, we need to back I up. You drink. got a bigger issue here.
1: Yeah, no, I'm just drinking coffee like it's water all day, yeah. and it then i like, water. oh, I need to. Yeah, ninety eight percent, right? There is, yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. So you are on, you are yeah. drinking tea. You're already on. I'm the drinking
1: t- tea before bed, okay. about an hour before bed. And I usually I have this really big mug that my friend got me. That's probably, I haven't really measured it, but it might be 24 ounces, but it's pretty big. And so, yeah, that's my tea consumption. Okay. And honestly, most of my hydration during the day. So something I, yeah, my kidneys probably, I think it'd be kidneys, right? Yeah. They definitely hate me. So whoops. Yeah,
0: they do for <laughs> sure. Yikes. <laughs> All right. Well, let me know going forward, if you, I, I'm very curious to hear, I'm very invested actually to hear how this goes for you. Yeah. Cause can, I don't know <laughs> the, the decaf <laughs> coffee. I don't, we'll see. Maybe I get there at some point, but I've just like, I've for years just been against, against that particular know, genre. I um, yeah,
1: I honestly, it's fair. It's fair. But have you tried or have, have you heard of the non-alcoholic beers that are out there? Huge fan okay i'm a huge okay. fan interesting interesting okay okay i okay. like
0: where you're going with this yeah. so you're make you're drawing that I was analogy. Drawing some
1: parallels but yeah anyway if i feel like if you like the non-alcoholic beer it's possible that you like some really high quality decaf beans so you hmm. should give them a chance
0: okay okay people are like what is happening right now i know though, um,
1: you guys haven't talked about running at all <laughs> I had <laughs> I, li- I had
0: a non-alcoholic beer today at like 1 p.m. because I had yeah. like crushed like I had all of these proposals due, and it was just like head down for like six straight hours on this, and I've this has been the other thing that I've discovered kind of in like the last year or so, and so you get that done, and then just like the sound and the feel of like cracking open like yeah. an IPA. That's mm-hmm. like a, it triggers a kind of reward. And in that moment, I don't need alcohol because I still have another like eight hours of work in front of me, but it feels like I get some, like yeah. I. it's like a little reward for like, good job. You you got all these proposals done. So
1: yeah, I mm. mean, I feel like that noise and that feeling is probably triggering that same sort of emotional response too. It's, oh, it, like totally. It's, it's time to like, yeah, you know, either get shit done or relax.
0: Yeah. Okay. Wow. I did not expect you to come with the decaf coffee versus NAG analogy, but you've got me now thinking more <laughs> about the de- decaf coffee. Okay. <laughs> I want to circle back. People are going to be like, this is a great conversation, or they're going to be so mad that we haven't talked more about running. And I don't know which it is. I don't really care. But um, <laughs> I do actually want to ask though, I think it's fun. I mean, sometimes we talk to runners that have been doing this for literally decades and have kind of been and become kind of icons of the sport and then it's really fun to talk to folks that are kind of really just getting into this and figuring it out and I guess what I'm curious to ask is what type of running or what type of races are you currently most interested in And do you already have thoughts of a kind of trajectory about the sorts of things? Maybe they don't play to your strengths right now or anything like that, but it kind of holds out intrigue, right? Because there's, I mean, when we talk about races, it's like there's all kinds of different ones. And so what are you into right now and where are you trying to be like really competitive and and shine? And is that different from sort of what you sort of see for yourself or could imagine down the line?
1: Yeah. So I think right now, this year, I decided to focus on mountain 50Ks. And that was mostly just because I was excited about it. And since I had a successful ski career, I figured why not just pick races that felt right, feel good, and I'm excited about. And I think that's the really cool thing about trail running, trail ultra running, is that unlike skiing where you have a season where all the races are happening and so you have a set schedule, you know what races you need to be competing in um, and when, I can pick and choose whenever I want to race and which races are important to me. And so I think that's a really cool thing that I think maybe some skiers don't really realize is um, available to them in this running space. So anyway, I was intrigued and excited by the idea of 50k mountain races I think that it probably comes from just the fact that it is like uh an ultra distance but it's not so crazy long that I don't understand it and so I think that that's a part of it and then I also have just seen myself as a mountain athlete I spent a ton of time in the mountains. Um, growing up, we weren't really in Wisconsin much during the summers. Like I said, my parents were teachers and my dad was a, a big mountain guy before they ended up moving to Wisconsin. And so we would spend a ton of time just as a family, um, in, in the mountains when I was a kid. And so even though I was from Wisconsin, and I went to school in Maine, I always kind of saw myself as a mountain athlete, um, which is kind of funny, but yeah. So I picked, you know, those races to focus on this year, but Next year, I'm I'm already have my sort of race schedule in place, and I'm thinking that because the Bay Area trails, while you can get some great vert and technical terrain, oftentimes it you know is pretty runnable relative to the talus fields that you'll be going through in the high mountains. Right, so you're not gonna really getting talus fields and on Mount Tam, but um, you know because of that i was thinking i would start out the first race of my year next year as a more runnable 50k so probably like chuck a nut or way too cool something like to that nature just because i haven't really i mean i'm still pretty new to the sport so i don't know what i'm good at yet i don't know what i'm like going to be um super competitive in and i know that i can be competitive with these mountain races but if i'm training in the bay area On, you know, weekdays, it's going to be hard for me to win those races against these women who have that terrain to train on every day. So something I'm thinking about and something that I need to sort of uh, analyze a bit more. But yeah. Sticking with that more runnable 50K at the beginning of the year next year. And then um, I did Mount Marathon last year, which was really cool. Actually, super last minute. Someone on um, the Solomon team couldn't make it. And so literally a few days before, they gave me the entry. And so I just flew up there and I raced, um, which was awesome. I think that kind of race is super fun and exciting, but probably not going to be my forte, but honestly one that I would continue to do in the future just because the community is so incredible. And I think that the race is just, it's amazing. So, um, I might, yeah, throw that in there. Not just, not because I think I'll win it, but because I think it's just a really cool thing to be a part of. Um, and then I really like spending my time in the high Sierra during the summers. So I like to, create my own roots and tackle some climbing and alpine style objectives. And so I'm thinking for next summer not really doing any racing and just focusing on maybe setting some more women's FKTs and putting together some new link ups and just exploring getting to that mountain range more. And then I think that's probably gonna be a trend going into the future as well. We'll see. I mean I I really uh, I really don't know, but yeah. I, I know I like to spend my time in the Sierra, so we'll see. And then um, come fall, I think I'd like to do Ultra Pyrenew, which is a long mountainous 100K in the Pyrenees. And I think that's something I could be really competitive at, especially after doing some long, slow mountain distance in the summers. Um, so that would be sort of my fall uh, A race. And then, yeah, I mean, we'll go from there. I think next year is going to be about just seeing what does a runnable 50K feel like, what does a long hundred K feel like? Yeah. Cause I haven't raised a hundred K before and going from there. Cause I do think ultimately I see myself in, you know, five ish years getting into the longer distance. I think, I am definitely more inclined to just go for a really long time, like that hundred miler type, and I'm good at not sleeping. So
0: Ah, right. Back <laughs> to that.
1: So Yeah,
0: don't don't get too good at sleeping here. It could hurt your, I, could hurt your long, long races.
1: Maybe the time is now. Right. Exactly. Um, right. But yeah, I think we'll see. I mean, it's definitely evolving, but I want to I want to see what I can do in the sport. And so I'm trying to be, take it really seriously and be focused and figure out like, what is it that I'm most excited about from a racing perspective? And what am I good at? So yeah. I still don't know the answers and figuring, figuring it out as we go.
0: Yeah. It's really cool. It's, um, it's got to hopefully, I, I think it does. You sound really sort of passionate and excited about everything you just laid out. But I think it's always this really kind of fun to get to talk somebody who, as you say, you're like, I don't know, I'm figuring it out right now. And who knows where it'll go. And there will be a lot of experimentation and learning. And um, that's a pretty cool place to be, I think, in life, what whatever the pursuit is. Totally. Right? Yeah. Be- because things get narrower from there right and i don't know i both can be really cool and when someone has totally figured out their own sort of expertise in a very particular area well we often celebrate those people right and there that you know they're that's cool in its own right but i don't know i i also like this version of events where it's like let's just explore and see where it goes and figure out what seems fun and challenging and rewarding. And, and you, you get to go do all that stuff.
1: Yes. And I'm sure in the coming years, I will find some races that I just feel like I can crush and that'll be great cuz I really like winning and I like standing on the podium and so I'm sure that that will be <laughs> a feedback loop, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm
0: going to yeah.
1: probably get really excited about races where I do that well in. Um and so yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think what is really exciting is racing in Europe, I think that some of those mountain races um uh, over there are just really cool and really challenging because they're so competitive and that's really exciting to me. Um, so I'd love to see how I stack up in some of those those big races as well. So yeah, and Ultra Pirineau I think will be a good start. Um, so hopefully that ends up coming to fruition and get into that race.
0: <laughs> well, Olivia, maybe not surprisingly, it sounds like you're already kind of well on your way of figuring out a roadmap or you know some yeah, some yeah. some spots mm-hmm. along this trajectory of yours so
1: totally it's like taking a paintbrush throwing some paint <laughs> in the wall seeing what sticks seeing what the shapes look like figuring out which shapes i like the most going from there yeah. maybe recreating some of those shapes again yeah that was a really weird it was analogy,
0: a little weird i was because in my i don't head- know where i
1: was going with it but now yeah now that's now that's what it is so. in
0: my head i was i I was thinking of it more in terms of your sort of research gig. you kind of took it in like a Jackson Pollock direction, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know so yeah you, you know, know.
1: <laughs> both both
0: well shit if if this was kind of the the researcher meets Jackson Pollock, that seems like a whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On that note, I want to let you go. Um, not because you need to go to sleep, obviously, but you probably, not.
1: You probably have some big super <laughs> so get my Im- extra cup of coffee,
0: <laughs> right? 8 PM,
1: never too late. Just kidding. I am not get, drinking coffee at 8 PM.
0: No. Do not worry. I used to, um, those days, those days are over Same. for us. Yes. So we got this. Yeah. We can
1: do this. <laughs>
0: I, I hope so. Um, we should definitely, yeah. Feel free to, you know, if you find certain things that are working really well for you, do let me know. I literally, I'm going to start writing about this on poster. Okay. And awesome. Uh,
1: I will read your article. Okay. I will try to follow the advice that you give. <laughs> <Okay>. Share. <laughs> Share some insights, please.
0: Well, and I'm going to need it back because I'm <laughs> I, I'm clearly not the expert at this, so I I'm going to try be to some like <laughs> I'm going to try to <laughs> there crowdsource <are> some, <laughs> this. Yeah,
1: There's some nutritionists out there, I'm sure that will listen to this that are no. just going to be like, oh god, no, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is not what we want to hear right now. <laughs> but we're not oh. condoning it, so I think that's no. the the key. We're not. Ex- it's not like we're condoning it. We're like, saying other it's than bad, we think so. that.
0: Other than we think that it points to an incredibly healthy and optimistic outlook on life. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. We'll figure this out. <laughs> hey, thank you. This has really been fun. Um, it's cool yeah. to learn more about your uh, the twists and turns of your particular story. And uh, uh, Yeah, there have been many. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, we'll be super interested to see how this all plays out for you and, and watch it unfold. So, so thanks for taking the time.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. It's
0: so nice. So nice chatting with you. Well, cool. I will let you go and uh, good luck with all of it.
1: Awesome. Thanks.
0: Well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to say thanks to Olivia for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward and we will talk to you again next week where I will be back here on Off the Couch with Sanjay Rawal to, once again, run through the news. Okay, till then, bye everybody.